Hey, Facebook friends and family, wonderful to see you. Bill Allen here from West Irwin Church of Christ in Tyler, Texas, where it is a little cool but nice. It's a great spring day. We're having an actual spring here for a few days before we get to the heat of the summer in Northeast Texas. I uh, hope you're having a good day, and I hope that you are enjoying uh, God's presence and God's blessings in all that you uh, experience uh, these days. I know there are many that are struggling. There are many that are still uh, having a difficult time because of the uh, coronavirus, because of the difficulties that this past 14 months or so have brought. And uh, I know that we all hope and pray that the Lord will continue to bless and help us through this. Um, one of the groups that has especially taken it on the chin through all of this is, of course, all of our families, not just uh, uh, our families, but uh, individuals, parents, children, siblings, uh, workers. Uh, there's all there's been a, a great deal of struggle. And so as we're looking into Colossians, we're in chapter three and we began a study of these verses that deal specifically uh, with the families and specifically with husbands and wives. So it's nice to see several joining in on us as joining in with us as we begin. My dear sister and old, old friend, Bobby Fuquay, uh, who's known me ever since I first became a Christian in March of 1972. Uh, Larry and Lynn Murphy, wonderful members here. Pat Slade, great to see you all. I know there will be some more names uh, that will pop up and there will be others that will be watching and will not volunteer their name and that's fine and there will be some that will be watching later uh, as it is uh, posted on my facebook page or on our west Irwin facebook pages and also of course on our website at westerwin.com in our social media and resources uh, tab and uh, scrolling down and linking on to um, our uh, live streaming page and clicking on video archives and you can see all of Bill's stuff and all of the previous things that we've had. So I'd be glad for you to share all of those. We started this study of husbands and wives last, uh, last Tuesday and I hope if you haven't seen that message and you're listening to this one, I hope that you'll go back and, and take a listen. Uh, I'll summarize a little bit, but I won't preach that message again. Uh, but I hope that you'll do that. I had a lot of positive response from it. A lot of folks commented, several folks shared it, and you are always welcome to share anything that I put on my Facebook page. Uh, you're welcome to do that and share it on yours as well. Put a comment on it if you like or not, whichever you like to do. I'm trying to get out of the way of this wonderful shield that you see behind me, that blue shield right underneath my grandma mom's wonderful portrait, wood carved of the Last Supper with quotes from Jesus about love. And that uh, blue shield, as I have shared before, has my mission statement on it from the last couple of verses in Colossians 1. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we can present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I struggle with all of his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I love that verse, love that passage, um, and uh, that has become my mission statement and has been for many years. One of the great chores and tasks of each member of the church is to try to help each other get to heaven. And to do that, that means we help each other live faithfully in this life. And I think one of the things that is most involved in that, of course, is our, is our relationship with those who are closest to us, our family. And, um, and so Paul speaks about that. As we have seen in Colossians 3, 
<coughs> excuse me, as we have seen in Colossians 3, he begins by calling us to uh, set our minds and our hearts on things above, on things eternal, on things that are spiritual, not things that will fade away. And as part of that, he gives us some thou shalt nots and some thou shalts throughout uh, Colossians. And I urge you to take a look at those again, because um, the, what we say to husbands and wives, to parents and children, to fellow church members, certainly all those apply uh, in our closest relationships. Those great general commands, such as you find in 1 Corinthians 13, that talks about what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Uh, all those kinds of things. Well, that doesn't just apply to husbands and wives. It certainly does, but it applies to everybody. And so because of that, uh, we certainly want to treat those that we're closest to uh, that same way. And so he gives some of those in Colossians 3 as well. And then he gets down to verses uh, 18 and 19. But I want us to really start with verse 17, because as I said Tuesday, and as I said last week, Colossians 3, 17 could be your mission statement. It's certainly a, a great, great passage. And I believe that um, it starts this passage on husbands and wives. We mentioned Ephesians 5 last time and, and how Paul is very specific in calling on uh, wives to submit to and respect their husbands and calling on husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And we spoke a lot about that on Tuesday. So again, I hope you'll go back and listen to that message. Um, but I think that passage in Ephesians 5 starts with verse 21 that says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Well, I think that's what we're supposed to do. And in the same way, I think this passage on husbands and wives and parents and children and workers, as he begins to uh, apply the things that he said in Colossians in a specific way, I think it really starts with this call, this general call in Colossians 3.17, that everything we say and do is done to honor Christ. Colossians 3.17-19. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So I said more about it uh, on Tuesday, but I will uh, repeat that call, that uh, a disclaimer that says Scripture never justifies domestic violence. Scripture never gives a husband as the head of the house the, uh, the power and the authority uh, to uh, assault his wife or his children, uh, to abuse them in physical or emotional or sexual ways. Never. Never verbal abuse is never justified. In fact, it's just the opposite. A husband treats his wife uh, like uh, the queen that she is. Uh, he treats his wife the way that Christ treated the church. How did Christ treat the church, you ask? He gave his life on the cross. Well, that's about as far away from domestic violence as you can get. That is, that is Jesus as the husband uh, giving his life uh, so that his wife, his bride, the church, could be saved and spared. That's, that's the call to husbands. And I and again, so I want to make it very, very clear. Scripture nowhere justifies any kind of, of violence, any kind of domestic violence uh, in this passage. Uh, but as we looked at this passage and as we talked about two authors, Emerson Egricks and his great book, uh, Love and Respect, uh, based on Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, and also Shanti Filton, uh, who has written books for uh, for women only. 
uh, that speaks about uh, men based on research that she has done. She also has a book for men only, and she's done a lot of research. And um, both of those authors, Emerson Egricks and Shante uh, Fieldhahn, both bring out <clears throat> the uh, important truth that for men, being respected is much more important than being loved. I realize that women are saying, Bill, you are bats. You are crazy. Not so wacko. Well, actually, that's not true. That's that's just wives. Here's here's the way to understand it. For men, as strongly as you want to feel loved by your husband, that's how strongly a husband wants to feel respected by his wife. I realize that doesn't make any sense uh, to wives, but that's what their research has shown. And I believe that that's the, the, the truth when it comes to men and women, husbands and wives. Uh, the way for a wife to love her husband is to uh, demonstrate respect and, and affirm him and build him up and, and never tear him down, especially in public. And the way a husband uh, uh, respects his wife is by loving her, showing her love, letting there be no question on anyone's mind, including hers, but especially all those around, that he is in love with her and that he adores her and that he would do anything in the world for her. I believe that if a husband loves his wife that way, she will have no problem affirming him and showing him uh, the respect and uh, the appreciation that he desires. Um, and so I encourage you to listen to my message on Tuesday, and I also encourage you uh, to take a look at those books, Love and Respect from Emerson Egricks and the books by Shanti Feldhahn that demonstrate her, um, uh, the statistical research that she has done. Emerson Egricks says this, my theory says that the wife has a tendency to react in ways that feel disrespectful to the husband, thus the command for her to respect. And the husband has a tendency to react in ways that feel love, unloving to the wife, thus the command to him to love. And so I believe like scripture does so many times, so often, it, it calls us out on the things that uh, we need work on. And it tells us to, uh, to join in the struggle and not just listen to those passages of scripture that tell us to do things we're really good at <laughs> and that we like, but actually that, that reminds us that this is how we're supposed to live even if it's hard even if it's difficult. And I think that's why wives are told to respect their husbands and husbands are told to love their wives because those things don't come as natural for each. Uh, it's natural for a woman to love, no question about it. It's And, and it's natural for a man uh, to build his life and his self-esteem on being respected uh, and appreciated. And so I, I think scripture, again, is way ahead of the game because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, our creator, <laughs> who knows us better than anyone. And, and that's the call. And so, again, uh, I think that's what happens. And Emerson Egricks in his, in his writings has, has developed what he calls the crazy cycle. I'm going to try to hold it up here and see if you can see it. Um, but that's the crazy cycle, and it's and it's a cycle. And basically, you start out at the top, and it says, without love, when the husband doesn't demonstrate love to his wife, then she reacts. Well, how does she react, Bill? She reacts by withholding respect from her husband. He hits her where she hurts, so she hits him where he hurts. She reacts to his lack of love and demonstrating love by 
uh, having a lack of respect and showing him disrespect and withholding respect. And so without respect, he reacts. <laughs> and so what does the husband do when the wife withholds respect from him? Well, he withholds his love and doesn't demonstrate that love. And we can be very, very cruel about this as well. And you know this, hopefully you don't know it firsthand, but we probably all are ashamed to say that there have been times when we have done exactly that. We have hit them where it hurts and where our spouse hurts the most, our wife hurts by feeling unloved. And so we withhold love and the husband uh, hurts the most. We hit him the hardest when uh, that respect is withheld. And we do that because we've been hurt. Uh, and so scripture calls us to get off the crazy cycle because somebody sometime is going to have to treat the other person the way God calls you to treat them, even if they don't treat you that way. Someone has got to break the crazy cycle. How does that happen? Well, that may happen by a wife who, even though she doesn't feel loved by her husband, demonstrates her love for him by being respectful and building him up uh, in, in the presence of others. And a husband, if he wants to break the cycle, the same thing only the other way. Even though his wife may be uh, disrespecting him and he, and he feels uh, like he is not appreciated, uh, still the husband will uh, not withhold love from his wife, but will demonstrate that love uh, to her. Sermon coming up that I have in my Roman series, not this week, but the next week, um, is based on that great passage in Romans 12 that calls us to be living sacrifices. And that doesn't mean that you accept abuse. Again, that is always wrong. I've, told, I've worked with women in women's shelters, and I have told them the Bible nowhere says that you have to stay in an abusive relationship. Never says that. And anyone that says that is just trying to manipulate you into doing something that's not right. Um, but it may very well be that the way we overcome evil is with good. And that's another passage from Romans chapter 12. We overcome evil uh, with good. And I think that especially speaks to this crazy cycle, that if you're going to break it, you're going to have to overcome the evil that is there in your relationship uh, that Satan is using to drive a wedge between you and your spouse. You're going to have to overcome that evil with good by being the ideal spouse, by treating your husband or your wife with all the love and respect that God calls you to give to them even though you may feel like they're not doing the same for you. That's a very, very hard thing to do. I get that. I understand that. Uh, but still, it is what God has called husbands and wives to do. Uh, we are supposed to be the bigger person. We are supposed to seek to help build this relationship uh, and do our part. I realize that sometimes, no matter what we do, it just doesn't work. And so I urge couples and families to get to a counselor, a, a trusted Christian counselor that's going to uh, advise and counsel you uh, with God's word as a foundation and with great training and expertise and gifts that can help you in practical ways to perhaps be able to save uh, your relationship. Um, and, some, and that's important. That's important. Joyce and I have each done counseling. We've done individual counseling. We've done a marriage counseling. We've done it all. Why? Because we believe in our marriage. 
not it's not you don't you don't go to a counselor because you've given up on your marriage you go to a counselor because you refuse to give up and again you choose wisely that person that you will go to that will give you good honest biblical counsel and encouragement and and will pray for you uh, but sometimes that is the right thing to do. Again, our tendency is to withhold our part until our spouse starts delivering on their part, according to our expectations of what that actually means. And you see how selfish that is and how much that would contribute to that crazy cycle. We're we're calling on them to do what we want. It's kind of like uh, giving your spouse a present that you would like. Um, well, no. And again, that's why scripture calls on husbands to love their wives the way Christ loved the church with an unselfish, completely self-denying love, sacrificial love even. And I believe that when husbands, when we do that, that our wives will respond and we will have no trouble feeling loved and appreciated and yes, respected uh, by our wife because of the way that we have treated her and have built her up. I realize that it's a hard, hard thing. and. Uh, an, another name that you can remember is Gottman, G-O-T-T-M-A-N, a married couple, Drs. John and Julie Gottman. They've written a book, 10 Lessons to Transform Your Marriage, and they talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They brought, borrow something from John in Revelation. But they say this, left unchecked, these behaviors can send couples into a downward spiral, and, and, and it doesn't end well, they say. Well, what four things are those? Well, number one is criticism. Number two is defensiveness. Number three is contempt. And number four is withdrawal. And basically, it's a progression, or we might say a digression. It starts with criticism. You're beginning to be unhappy, and so you, you're you critical of each other. You kind of lash out verbally. You may say, oh, I was just joking, but don't do it. Don't do it. The damage is done. Words matter. What you say matters, and you can't erase it. Uh, by saying, oh, I was just kidding, oh, oh, you know, I don't mean that, or don't say those things. They don't help. They're not helpful. All they do is build question and even resentment on the part of your spouse. Um, but that's how it starts. It starts with criticism. You're very critical. Uh, and then the next step is defensiveness, where you begin to become defensive over everything. Um, and then the third step is contempt. And this is that sarcasm, the hurtful remarks. It's a little bit more than just being critical. It's, it's actually hurtful. It's painful. And you're doing it to hurt. Uh, you know how to do that, don't you? As a spouse, we do know what hurts our spouse the most. And it's sad to say that sometimes the devil gets the best of us, and that's exactly what we try to do. We try to hurt our spouse. Sometimes we feel like they have hurt us first, and so they deserve to be treated this way. Again, the crazy cycle. Uh, uh, he withholds, so she reacts. She withholds because of that reaction, and so he reacts, and it keeps spinning downward and downward and downward. Well, it starts with being critical, according to the Gottmans. Then you become defensive. Uh, then you start lashing out at each other with hurtful remarks and sarcastic remarks and building contempt. And then the last stage, according to them, in this four-part, four horsemen of the apocalypse, is withdrawal. Stonewalling is actually their term. I like the term withdrawal. You withdraw. The spouse no longer has an emotional interest or stake in the current issue or the relationship. Uh, they've given up. You know, they basically say they don't care. And, I, and that's just that's so, so very sad. Your experience has probably been similar to mine. My experience has been with couples that are having difficulty. 
it always seems that one of the two is is trying and the other one isn't. And unfortunately, they they both try at times, but they don't both try at the same time. And I think that's that's the problem. That's what's difficult. And that's why when Paul talks about this, he talks to both. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Respect your husbands. Uh, it, it's not one does this and then everything's okay. It's that both are to do this. And I realize you can only control what you do. And so do that. Do that. Um, but again, it's important for us to both be trying at the same time. So many times we've counseled couples through the years and we talk to one and they say, look, I've tried and tried and tried and tried and I, I've, I've done it for years and they've never responded and they never responded. And so they, they moved out or they went to a different bedroom or they did whatever. And uh, the spouse all of a sudden has their attention now. And so now they're breaking their necks, trying to save the relationship and the marriage, doing all the things that their spouse had wanted them to do for years. But it doesn't matter because the spouse is withdrawn. Don't do it. Don't do it. Keep trying. Stay in there. Hang in there. And when you see good things from your spouse, then say that and affirm them and build them up because of those things uh, and, and keep trying. Uh, what a tragedy it is. When you have one spouse that tries for years and then gives up and the other spouse starts trying, but to no avail. Which one is right in that? Well, they are both very, very wrong. Why? Because your marriage is worth saving. Your marriage is worth saving. Your family is worth saving. Stay in there. Keep trying. You say, Bill, I just don't know if I can do it. Then get help. Get help. Talk to a trusted counselor. Uh, get a trusted elder or minister or friend that's that is there and that is knowledgeable and that loves you and that will tell you the truth, but will do it in a way that, that demonstrates God's love. Um, the Gottmans have developed a body of advice based on two surprisingly simple truths. And I love this. Two surprisingly simple truths. Number one, happily married couples behave like good friends. Their relationships are characterized by respect, affection, and empathy. In other words, they treat each other well. They treat each other like good friends treat each other. Uh, they have that mutual respect and love for each other. And again, that passage in Ephesians 5, I think, starts with verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, the passage in Colossians 3, verses 18 and 19, begins in verse 17. that says, whatever you do and whatever you say, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. With gratitude in your heart, thanksgiving to God through him. Uh, we are faithful husbands, we are faithful wives because of our devotion to God and our desire to be faithful to God. And how you treat your spouse matters to God. Um, that great second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Guess who's your closest neighbor? It's your spouse, it's your family. I realize we don't often think of each other like that. And I, I like the fact that I can go home in the evening. I love going home in the evening and and get on my sweats and my flannel shirt and put my feet up and, and put some nameless thing on TV or scroll through my phone or something and just, just veg, as we call it, just relax. Uh, but let's not relax so much that we, have, we quit trying with each other. Uh, I do think that the Gottmans are right when they say happily married couples behave like good friends. Yes, they're lovers, absolutely. Yes, they have a romantic connection that good friends don't have, of course, as husband and wife. 
but they treat each other with respect, affection, and empathy. Secondly, happily married couples handle their conflicts in gentle, positive ways. Notice that they didn't say happily married couples don't have conflict. <laughs> That's not true. And I urge you to uh, look into some conflict mediation things, especially a wonderful chart that I use a lot from Randy Lowry of, of Lipscomb University that talks about uh, differentiating between the issue and the relationship and trying to figure out uh, what's more important and which needs to be emphasized. And sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's neither. Sometimes it's one or the other. Um, but happily married couples handle their conflicts in gentle, positive ways. They don't fly off the handle. They don't say hurtful things. Uh, they recognize that conflict is a part of being in relationship. And so let's deal with it. Conflict can help bring about positive change in things that need to happen. And whatever the relationship, whether it's husband, wife, or, or two best friends, church members, whatever it might be, um, yeah, there's going to be tension at times. Of course, there's going to be conflict at times. Sure. That doesn't mean that things are bad. It just means that you're, you got more than one person involved in this relationship. If it was just you, then no problem, right? If you were the only member of your church, everything would happen just exactly like you want it to. But that's not true. And that's why scripture teaches us that when it comes to church, when it comes to worship services, the most important way of doing things is the way that will help my brother and my sister, not me. And so that loving your neighbor as yourself all of a sudden has become something very real. When I say, look, I would much rather not get my way and do things that I don't particularly uh, help me because it helps this brother or this sister that I know is struggling and it will give them encouragement. Well, that's more the attitude and spirit of Christ there. Why can't we do that in our marriages where we are willing to lay down our lives the way Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her? the way the church submits to Christ. We love and respect and submit to each other in the same way. And again, that, that speaks to how we deal with conflict. We don't avoid it. We don't pretend it's not there. We deal with it, but we deal with it in positive ways. We talk through it. We come to a sense of resolution. Um, and remember that old song, that old hymn, angry words, so let them never from the tongue slip. Well, I tell you, <laughs> that's really important when it comes to our family, because that's when we can relax. That's when we can feel like the pressure's off and we can just spout out whatever comes, pops into our head. Don't do it. Don't do it because you love that person too much to knife them, stab them with cutting words. Uh, and you might say, oh, you know, they know I don't mean it. No, 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 they don't know. They don't know. They don't know. If you say it, then the assumption is, is that you mean it. And, uh, and you might do a lot of backtracking later, but it's much better to stop it on the front end. You don't have to say something just because you think it. If you'll think first uh, and then decide whether it's right to say or not, and it may be right to say, but do it in a positive way way that exhibits love and gentleness and respect and consideration. Jesus did that. He confronted people at times, but he never lost control and he never did things or said things to deliberately hurt someone. He did and said those things so that the relationship that he had with them and that they had with their creator would be helped. That's us too. Small positive behaviors frequently repeated can make a huge difference in the long-term success of a marriage. It doesn't just come on the big, big deals, 
but it comes every single day doing the little things that will help, that will help demonstrate that love and respect uh, that Paul talks about here. I love Jerry and Lynn Jones. If you've never been to one of their uh, relationship seminars, I urge you to do it. They are tremendous. You can get some of their DVDs and other material. Jerry and Lynn Jones, super couple, amazing couple, great, great uh, ministry that they have going. One of their great statements is be kind to one another. It seems so little, but it's so important. Treat each other with kindness. Uh, remember, every word you say and everything that you do, according to Colossians 3.17, should be done to honor Christ. That includes the things that you do and the things that you say to your spouse. Be kind to each other. I think that is super great advice. It starts with the husband and his willingness to show his love for his wife so that she feels loved. Again, not just satisfying yourself, guys but satisfying our wives. And it continues with the wife and her willingness to show respect to her husband so that he feels respected. Again, not just doing it so that you, you're happy with the result, but so that he is, so that he feels loved and respected uh, in the same way that you want to feel loved and respected. The husband's gonna feel that way when he feels that respect and appreciation and affirmation. And the wife is going to feel that way when she feels that love and that emotional connection. Uh, what a great, great thing we have in Scripture. And, a, and these are these are 30-minute lessons that can in any way, shape, or form resolve major conflict. I get that. I get that. Please don't think that this is simplistic and that if you wave a magic wand, everything will, all the problems will go away. That's not true. It takes work, but it's worth it. It is so worth it. And so again, I'll close with these words. And then on, on next week, on Tuesday, we'll look at what he has to say to parents and children. But Colossians 3, again, verses 17 through 19. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. May God bless all of our families. Amen.